welcome to Hysteria. I'm Erin Ryan. This week, everybody's favorite Alyssa Mastromonaco joins to talk about Hope Hicks's New York Times glamour shot and what this week's Supreme Court ruling might mean for the future of Roe v. Wade. Then, Grace Parra and Naomi Ekparrigan join in studio to answer the biggest question of all. Are you there, God? And, as always, our hills. Hey all, thanks for tuning in. Before we get to the show, a little bit of housekeeping. If you want to submit a Hill You'll Die on, record a 30-second voice memo on your phone and send it to hysteria at crooked.com. That's also the email address where we receive all correspondence, so send whatever you want to us there, but just know that if you send something shitty, I will forward it to everyone at Crooked Media and we will make fun of you. So use hysteria at crooked.com with caution. Merch is in the works. I promise you that you will get new Hysteria merch before you get a satisfying conclusion on the Mueller report. I'm just half kidding. We're, it's, it's in the works. It's coming, and it's coming soon, and I've seen it, and it's great, and you guys will love it. I'm trying a new thing where I give a shout-out to a group of listeners. This week, I want to give a shout-out to all the teachers who are listening. Lots of people out there who get in touch are educators at all levels, elementary school, middle school, high school, college, etc. Lots of members of my family are teachers or educators, including my mom, my sister, two uncles, a cousin, and two aunts. So I appreciate you. We love you. And um, enjoy the beginning of your summer break. Now let's get to the show. Hello. Hey, Alyssa. Hey, Erin. I'm sorry I'm a little late this morning. Um, I was behind a coffee orderer who was ordering excruciatingly slow. You know what happens to me? What? I get stuck behind garbage cans. I mean, garbage trucks. Oh. <laughs> and I like, can literally add 15 minutes on to any ride, whether upstate or in New York City. Yeah. So that's been my problem for the last week. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, garbage truck at least is sort of, oh man, you're cursed. Can you imagine if that was your curse? You found out like a really kind of subtle witch had cursed you with having to follow garbage trucks. That witch would be brilliant. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's some like witchcraft restraint. I think that's someone not being an activist, witch, just kind of letting their work speak for them. (laughs) Exactly. Oh, activist witches. 2020. Activist witches. Hell yes. Alyssa, do you remember the show Pee-wee's Playhouse? Uh, Vaguely. My mother didn't really let me watch it that much. That's so interesting. My dad used to sneak me and my brother down to watch it because he really liked it and he wanted us to like it. (laughs) That's funny. I was more permitted to watch Phil Donahue. Okay. 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 I can get in the sense. Tell me about (laughs) Pee-wee. Well, every every episode they used to do a thing called the secret word. His, His robot Clonky would print out a secret word. And for the rest of the day, the kids were instructed whenever you heard the secret word, you were supposed to scream really loud. And they would do it during the course of the episode, too. So it would be like, neighbor. Someone would be like, thank you, neighbor. And people would go, ah, and it would be this whole thing. Get it. Got okay. it. So this is a long walk to get here. But today's secret word, Alyssa, is existential. Lord be. Okay. <laughs> All I right. where we're going. Yes. So this weekend, Maggie Haberman of the New York Times wrote a widely discussed piece on Hope Hicks in which the opening paragraph described Hicks as facing a, quote, existential dilemma over whether or not to comply with a house subpoena, which is a legal thing that you have to do. Mm-hmm. Um, Alyssa, what did you make of the Hope Hicks puff piece? That's a tongue twister. So... You know, I try very hard to not get swept up in Twitter rage and try to have like, you know, my own independent thought on occasion. Mm -hmm. Um, So, of course, there was the Twitter outrage and I was like, hold on, let's see if I can sort of deflate the outrage in any way. And you really can't. Um, The only smidge of something that I found is that, like, you can't blame Maggie Haberman for the pensive glamour photo shoot that she did, that that's not Maggie's decision. So great. Um, But basically, this whole article was just like, woe is Hope Hicks. Whatever will she do? And it wasn't even framed as like a decision between right and wrong. It was literally just like, what will she do? Well, you know who I wish had had that option? Monica Lewinsky. She certainly didn't get a choice as to whether or not to comply with subpoena, nor has anyone ever on Law and Order or any real court in America. So I don't understand how this is a choice for her. And the fact that they are framing it as a choice means that if she makes the choice to not comply, that's okay. And it's not okay. 
Yeah, it is. It's a legal thing. And I think it's interesting that the law and order presidents, one of his closest aides is now like, do I follow the law? Do I? Or don't I? Yeah, I don't Hmm. know. One thing that's really interesting, I was looking at the article yesterday and they changed the word existential in the opening paragraph. They (laughs) changed it. It's not, it's not existential anymore. I don't remember what it was, but I was like, I see what you did, New York Times. Luckily, pages cash. Like, you know, that's, it's a sort of, when I read the piece, I thought this can't be as bad like you, Alyssa. I thought this can't be as bad as everyone is making it out to be. And really it was sort of centering an antagonist. It, It like... A, a secondary antagonist as the protagonist in this story about a girl that just wants to be left alone and didn't even realize what was happening. But somehow yet she was, when she was um, comms director, she was really on top of things. R- reporters really liked dealing with her because she knew everything that was going on. So it's sort of like, it just felt like this kind of weird Hope Hicks was giving her testimony through Maggie Haberman, even though the piece mm-hmm. said that Hope Hicks didn't test, didn't talk to Maggie for the story. It's sort of yes, or her lawyer. Yeah, it's sort of clear that you know it, it, the source familiar with Hope's thinking could have just been somebody who talked to Hope Hicks. But I want to talk a little bit about the sort of sausage making process of yeah. the way that sourcing works in the media, and why somebody like Maggie Haberman would write something like that about Hope Hicks. Yeah, well, you're the reporter, so why don't you kick it off? Well, I think we've we are we're having an interesting conversation because we've been on both sides of these interactions. Where I never did this sort of a thing, but a lot of people do it, and and in and to a lesser degree, if it's not as blatant and crazy, sometimes it is actually a a part of the job is to make things easier for yourself. So there's something that reporters and journalists do called beat sweetening or source greasing, which is where you give some favorable coverage to a person who is a really important source for you. So Mm. like including them on best of Washington lists or doing like a profile where they seem cool or, you know, being pretty light, you know, kitten gloves on them. Kitten gloves? Kid gloves. Why did I say kid gloves? Kid gloves. Ah, who cares? Kitten gloves would be cute. I was picking up what you were putting down. Right. Kid gloves on them in coverage. You know, a lot of people were saying that Don McGahn, when he was getting positive coverage, was getting positive coverage because he'd been a source for a lot of reporters. And the same thing goes for Hope Hicks. So from your perspective, what does beat sweetening mean and why do people need to know about it? Well, I think an interesting example that maybe not fresh in people's memories, but vivid once we bring back to light, was the faux outrage when Michelle Wolf made the joke about Sarah Huckabee Sanders burning lies and using them to make smoky eyes. Mm -hmm. And people were like, you can't make fun of her. Like all these reporters came out of the woodwork and they're like, you can't make fun of Sarah. And like, you can't make fun of her appearance. She wasn't making fun of her appearance. She was talking about all the lies, which are clear that she gives at the podium every day. And all you could think of is like, wow, so Sarah's your source for everything. Like you're all just up Sarah's butt. Like Mm -hmm. this is, this is who's talking to you. And I think the reason it's like, of course it's a way of life, but I feel like in the past, I don't know, year or two, it's just become so obvious because the freedom of the press and the access of the press to the White House has been so severely limited that these reporters are completely desperate to get anyone to talk to them. And so I feel like it's so much more obvious now what's going on. Mm-hmm. And the the sort of, you know, repercussion, I guess, is that even people like you and me are like, all right, well, or I'll speak for myself. Right. Even I am like, oh, Okay, so your story, let me go back and find your stories that you wrote and let's see if you protected Hope Hicks in them and are they really fair and accurate? You know, that's kind of the thing that I think it makes (laughs) to also go back to the 90s. It's like things that make you go, hmm. (laughs) Things that make you go, hmm, indeed. And, you know, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and a lot of people pointed out that there's a huge disparity between uh, somebody who's a pretty white girl from Connecticut like Hope Hicks breaking the law and literally anybody else breaking the law. Um, Is this, I can't help it, but be selfish and, and megalomaniacal a bit on this one, but it's like rewinding eight years. 
I can't imagine a world in which me or Valerie Jarrett or Susan Rice or Tina Chen or Cecilia Munoz or Kathy Rumler, Nancy and DeParle, all the women in the West Wing, anyone would have been given a glamour shot for being like, we're not going to testify. Like That's just like it's just that's the thing that's just so outrageous is that there's there's no point in history when I could think that this ever would have happened. Yeah. Fascism shouldn't have its own damsel in, dis- in distress. <laughs> Agree. <laughs> okay. Listen, moving on to the other thing that we have to talk about this. I mean, there's a lot of things we should talk about, but here's the other thing that's sort of been stuck in my craw. The Supreme mm. Court uh, made some moves with respect to abortion. They, Yo. they um, addressed Indiana's abortion law, where they refused to consider the state's ban on sex, race, and disability selective abortion, which means that the ban does not go into effect. Mm -hmm. But they did keep the weird part of the law that requires burial of fetal remains. So, Alyssa, what do you make of what went on in the court this week? So here is my non-lawyerly takeaway. Oh, none of us are lawyers. None (laughs) of us. I just like none of us people that I don't think I'm better than I am, uh, despite my level of law and order binging. Um, So basically, what do we think here? That the that the tenant of Roe v. Wade is undue burden, right? Mm -hmm. And so they determined. Well, that's actually Casey. That's Planned Parenthood. Casey, Casey. you're right. You're right. You're right. So what they decided is that you know, the cremation and or burial of fetal remains is not putting an extra stressor on the woman having the abortion. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, that's the, that's, that seems like the thrust of it. I mean, a lot of, a lot of Supreme court watchers, including the New York times is Adam Liptak, who I rely on a lot. Yes. He's very smart. He's very smart. Seemed a lot of kind of Supreme court watchers who are more lawyerly than I am seem to think that this ruling might signal that the court doesn't want to have anything to do with touching Roe or Casey or or abortion for a while, except for Clarence Thomas, who is not good at not touching anything for the most part. Clarence Thomas um, can't help himself. He cannot. He wrote a real weird um, kind of concurring opinion with this weirdly pugnacious tone where he compared abortion to eugenics. Um, and yes, he did. He did. And you know what? And it seems like the real connection between the two is that they both came in the beginning of both move movements came in the beginning of the 20th century. I mean, yeah, there's there are a lot of things about abortion that have been problematic in American history. There's a choice issues have been really problematic and poor women have been forcefully sterilized. We've never been a country that's great at letting women do what they want to do with their bodies, especially poor women, whether that's have children or not have children. But Clarence Thomas's argument has nothing to do with the Indiana law. And uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg pointed out in a dueling footnote, which is the first time I've ever used the phrase dueling footnote, um, that Thomas's footnote was more heat than light. So it seems like Thomas is chomping at the bit to overturn Roe, but he might be the only one. So here's what I feel like. I definitely think that he wants to overturn it, but he also doesn't want the protests outside his house. So this is sort of like his, you know, his sort of like his footnote is like his relief valve. He's like, I am real talked up about this and I was hoping I was going to get my turn, but I'm not walking this plank alone, but I will say how I feel. So Mm -hmm. his footnote's basically personal therapy. Yeah, I also cynically believe that anytime anybody like Clarence Thomas can opine and cry and scream about not having abortion overturned, it's a fundraising opportunity for people that align politically with Justice Clarence yeah. Thomas. So, you know, I, I think that in we've talked about this. I think that in a lot of cases, a lot of conservatives don't really want to overturn Roe v. Wade because when the fight's over, they're the dog that caught the car. And right. now what do we do? How do we raise money? How do we froth up our base now? And and when, when that's gone, they're not going to really have anything to froth their base up over. Or, I mean, maybe trans kids using bathrooms or something, but we'll see. Uh, finally, I want to get to Kamala Harris's MSNBC town hall, which both of us have paid attention to. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Kamala. No judgment. There are just no, there's so many. There's, there are many town halls. How many towns have been involved in these town halls? I wonder, like, could we make a map? 
Well, it's kind of like if you're a town who doesn't get a town hall, should you be depressed? Like, should you think less of yourself? Maybe you're more special if you don't get one because there's so many. Um, But one thing Kamala talked about during her town hall is the Reproductive Health Act, which is Mm -hmm. Kamala Harris's plan to have states that have problematic histories with passing anti-abortion laws that are unconstitutional. It would require those states to pass their laws through a Justice Department review before they were enacted, which is sort of what the Voting Rights Act tried to do before it was dismantled by the Supreme Court. Alyssa, what do you think of this plan? You know, I think all plans are kind of good at this point, like given what we're in the middle of, you know, like, I mean, some some states, it seems, cannot be left to their own devices. Louisiana, <laughs> Alabama, yeah, yeah, Georgia, and so. And I also think that people in the states, in the in the same way that we are overwhelmed with information, I do think that if some of these, you know, proposed laws went through a review, and then there was like an article written in the local paper about it, people might again be like, huh. I hadn't thought of it that way right. or maybe that. So I do think that, you know, not just because I agree with it, I think it's good for people to get more of the facts from like just DOJ lawyers who are nonpartisan because they're not and just like reviewing law. So yeah. I think it's good. Yeah, I think of the campaign right now and it feels like it's functioning at a pretty high level in terms of there's not any mudslinging going on. Everybody mm-hmm. is being pretty classy and everybody is respecting each other's uh, space and nobody's making any nicknames up about anybody, which is great. But I think about the campaign right now as a conversation and yes. Elizabeth Warren is starting the conversation and driving the conversation a lot. And these moments like Kamala Harris introducing the Reproductive Health Act, Cory Booker has had some innovative ideas. Of course, Bernie Sanders has things that drive conversation. Every one of the candidates is bringing something up that drives the conversation in a direction that will hopefully lead us to a candidate that really embodies and works toward things that everybody is excited about. You mean like a truly representative candidate? I mean, that'd be cool. Damn, girl. I know. I know. I'll keep dreaming. I'll keep dreaming. (laughs) All right, Alyssa, that's all the time we have this week, but I look forward to chatting with you in seven days. Talk to you next week. Maybe there'll be more news that isn't abortion. Yay. Bye. Yay. Bye. We have to take a break, but when we're back, more hysteria. Welcome back to Hysteria. I'm Erin Ryan. Time for the part of the show where we talk deeply about things for a long time that don't really have anything to do with the news, but that we think about a lot anyway. I want to introduce my small panel for this big topic. First, I want to introduce Naomi Ekparrigan. She is an actor, a writer, a comedian, a very funny comedian. I just saw her do stand up and it was really fucking good. Wow, huge, Erin. Thank you. (laughs) And uh, host of the Couples Therapy Podcast, which we were figuring out a time for me to be on, which will be a super fun little cross-pollination. We're both doing like a little shoulder shoulder shimmying. Uh, Naomi, how's your week been? How have you been? Doing great. Menstrual cramps currently. Okay. But you know what? That lets you know you're alive. You know what I mean? So I'm like, I'm like feeling it. And I'm like trying to like, you know, you don't want to fight it. I'm just trying to loosen every part of my body. If that yeah, makes yeah, any yeah, sense. Yeah, I just yeah. want everything, loosen every muscle right now. So that's where I'm at. That's great. Have you ever been, do you ever do yoga? No, Erin. Okay. <laughs> Sometimes in yoga, they're like, just, you know, sit in the discomfort. Just <clears throat> this remind, just breathe through it. You're in it. You're in it. You're in it. And that was a very Zen way of like approaching yoga cramp. Thank you. Well, you, menstrual said I, cramp. you said I was Zen when you saw me sitting outside, yeah. right? And that's what I'm doing. You're I'm just trying sitting to just, I'm trying to just loosen and sit in it. <laughs> well, you're way more evolved than I am because <laughs> I just get cranky. <laughs> Next up, we have actor, comedian, activist, Grace Para. Uh, thank you. Uh, thank you. Uh, thank Welcome you. back. We have a double dose of Grace. We do. I'm I'm excited. I just got back from the South. I was. Oh in, yeah. How was that? It was amazing. Uh, Alabama, uh, Tennessee. I was uh, in. Uh, I went to Muscle Shoals. I went to Memf- uh, Memphis. I went to Nashville. I went to Ooh. Florence, Alabama. I met Hysteria fans in North Alabama. How? What were the? What was the context of that? Did they just come up to you? Yeah, they just came up to me. So I I mentioned something last episode about going down to the South over Memorial Day weekend and got a 
bunch of tweets from Hysteria fans saying, oh, you should go check out this place. You should check out that place. Southerners are really nice. They're the nice so ones nice. are very nice. <laughs> yes, the mean really ones are. are very, very mean. mean. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, only nice people. Only okay. nice people. Um, it, it was fantastic. Yeah. And I got so many great recommendations on restaurants to go to and recording studios to check out, bars. We went to this one bar uh, in Memphis that used to be a brothel and is also haunted and is, what? I wow. love that That's shit. amazing. So, you know yes. what? In, in screenwriting, we call that a hat on a hat. <laughs> Haunted and a former brothel. Okay. Okay. Let's let's simplify this story. Yeah. Let's try. That's a long walk. Yeah. Two, it's not realistic, Grace. They'll lose you. Um, I, I also have to shout out to all the bachelorette parties that were taking up Nashville, Tennessee this past weekend because Niall and I wanted to go check out the Capitol and we did and there was nobody there. So we had the entire National Capitol to ourselves because all the bachelorette parties were just boozing it up. Oh. Boozing it up. That sounds fun. It was Nash- really fun. Nashville sounds like a great... I've never been to Me Nashville. Me neither. I hear oh. it's a, f- a fun time, It's right? a very fun time. You know, Highly it's, recommended. It's funny. I have this big group of girlfriends from college. There's like... 13 of us. And they're all married and have kids and have responsible careers that don't include yelling fuck into a microphone. <laughs> um, but they, uh, we've been talking about getting, getting the girls together and, and they're on, they're everywhere in the country. So we're like, oh, maybe we'll go to Nashville. And it's funny because every group of girlfriends apparently is oh, like, yes. let's go to Nashville. Here's what I also learned. You can't go to Nashville with a group of girls unless you've got matching tanks. So you got to okay. have a slogan. The gotta one, have, I, you got to have it. What's your favorite? Tell I, me. My favorite was um, getting nasty this weekend. All oh, right. Okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, that's a, that's the sort of shirt that I think in 20 years, some hipster shithead teen is going to be in a thrift store <laughs> and they're going to find that shirt and they're going to be like, this is gold. Right. Yes, yes. But it's going to be next to the little Nas X tanks, too. <laughs> you have to, like, there needs to be a place where we can age our group T-shirts yeah. until they're ready. They're yeah. fully fermented and they right. can be worn ironically. Fully fermented. I have an old shirt that I bought in 2004 back when I was a John Edwards supporter that said, <laughs> said John Edwards is hot on it. And it oh, oh. has a picture of his head. And like, I, it, it became bad. Uh-huh. And then now I'm kind of like, are we on the other side of it? Nope. Can I? Nope. How, how long? He says no. How long do I have okay. to wait until I can wear this John Edwards I think t-shirt? irony takes 30 years. I, mean, I was going to say okay. 20, 44. Yeah. All right. <laughs> and you can wear it. All right. Well, then my entire goal for remaining physically in shape is so that I can fit into this t-shirt when it's hipster. I'm going to just be with my little walker with the, with the tennis balls. John Edwards is... <laughs> I will emerge victorious. <laughs> okay, let's get into the big topic that we're going to talk about today. I'm really glad that both of you were down because it's such a personal thing. I mean, we always talk about personal things, but this is like deeply, deeply personal. Uh, we're going to talk about God and faith and spirituality today. We're going to solve it. Gonna I think we're going to we're going to solve we're going to figure out what it is. Yeah. yeah. What it is, what it's doing and why it matters and whether or not everybody should agree with us. Mm-hmm. Cuz that's right. the point of this conversation. Time starts now. Exactly. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so the reason that I wanted to talk about this was because, you know, there's a stat that gets thrown around millennials are less religious than any previous generation in America. Um, the number of Americans, according to Pew, the number of Americans aged 18 to 29 who have no religious affiliation has quadrupled in the last 30 years. It was only 10% in 1986. It is 39% in 2016. And I'm assuming it's only increased because mm-hmm. nobody, I don't know any young people who, is like, who are like, you know what, church. Right. Uh, like, now Baldwin. Oh, that's true. Cool church. Cool cool church. church. I think that there's a lot of people that are in our, I think we are like the last group of people as like kind of older millennials. The last group of people who were religious as children who are not, because kids that are being born now are not being raised as religious. So I wanted to bring you two in to talk about what fills the space uh, that religion used to fill? So like Mm. uh, to both of you, what role... Mm. Did God or religion play when you were a kid? Well, I grew up uh, Catholic. I grew up going to Catholic school. I went to an all-girl Catholic school in Houston, Texas. Shout out to St. Agnes Academy. <laughs> um, my parents uh, were were cath- very Catholic in as much as God was always a given. Monotheism was always a given. Respect for church was always a given. My, my parents would toss around phrases like God first, country second, family third. These kinds of things that are not unusual for Texas at all. And especially coming from, uh, you know, both my parents are Mexican immigrants, 
Catholicism is very deeply rooted in Latin America as well. Uh, but I also saw a deep evolution with my parents and religion in that uh, one of my three brothers, the youngest of my three brothers, when he came out uh, in his early 20s, that caused my parents to shift in their religious beliefs, which in turn caused me to shift in my religious beliefs um, because it, it was difficult for them to adhere to an institution that didn't support the LGBTQ plus community outwardly when they so much supported and continue to support my brother and love my brother. So um, religion's always been there. It's always, it's, it's, I think, constantly evolving. I felt very lucky to have grown up uh, going to this school, St. Agnes, that had really amazing theology classes. So I started approaching religion by the time I was like 14 or 15 for more of an academic interest, mm. uh, it really like rooted in philosophy and rooted in in um, uh, more of like a, a, a tr trying to, to understand on a textual level and more of a universal level as well. So much so that I almost majored in religion at mm. Columbia um, just because I'm deeply interested in it. I think in ways that um, history always seemed confounding to me, like well, who majors in history? How do you say <laughs> like, it's so broad, but religion is at least a way to compare cultures and to compare people. Everybody's always had a belief system historically. Mm -hmm. So how that differs through time has always been really interesting to me. And religion seems like a, a really interesting uh, way to, to kind of view that. Um, but now, you know, I, I, I see religion as I mean, this is so complex to get into. I can't wait to talk to you guys about this, truly, because I've been thinking about what religion means to me now. Uh, and, and I think that this phrase, like, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual, gets tossed around a lot. Especially in California. Yeah, especially like. in California. And uh, can I just say, I think it means, I think it's I, it meaningless. I don't think, as much as I, I respect the word spirituality and I respect what an individual, how an individual may, may um, view that in their own terms, I don't think it means much. And so I think that while we are trying to find what our generation views as uh, a kind of um, alternative to religion, we have now thrown in this phrase spirituality, which I think is truly meaningless unless we as individuals really know what it means to us and really take the time to parlay that, which I don't think, you know, I don't know that we have yet. Mm -hmm. Were you raised religious, Naomi? So we grew up, so I grew up going to, Cal I went to Catholic school until sixth grade and then a hard shift into private school, which was mostly mm -hmm. Jewish. So I consider that, I guess, Jewish school. But then, um, but we went, like, my mom's, like, non-denominational Christian. Like, we would go to church. We went to a Baptist church. Give me that energy. Give me the theatrics. Mm -hmm. okay? Yeah, yeah. I was into that. And then my dad, um, his, my grandmother on my dad's side is a preacher in Nigeria. Oh. And that's a whole different type. Yeah. Like, yeah. that's coming like, in very hot on the Jesus tip. Okay. Like, and, can you explain more of what that is? Um, not, I mean, I, I have not seen her in practice, but, like, Jesus is her homeboy, number one. Mm -hmm. Like, the last time she came to New York, it was, like, because the congregation had raised money for her to go. Like, her her um, her church life and her personal life are very deeply enmeshed. Mm -hmm. it, there's kind of no separation there for her. Every Like, we picked her up at the airport. We had to all pray together before we even got to the car. Like, it was like, <laughs> Jesus, thank you, we all got here. It's like, okay, like, it's, it's, it's all of that. It's, like, yeah, every yeah, part yeah. of her process. Uh -huh. um, so... That so like those are just two different sides that I that I saw. Um, Do you go to church now? No, 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 no. I would say sorry. I wouldn't even necessarily call myself spiritual now, but I understand. Like it's when you say it's meaningless. I think it's less meaningless as much as it depends on the individual. Yeah, Christ. totally. Like it's totally. one of those. Like I wouldn't. It's definitely yeah. like. It can manifest in so many ways. Certain ways, I'm less. Right. I respect less than others. Yeah. But, <laughs> but it is like its own, you know, its own thing. Like, I think I have a very hard time with organized religion in that, like, I don't know, like what you were saying before, Grace, about like your parents, you know, making a shift when your brother came out. Yeah. I think that's like a rare... Be Call me out slash don't at me, but also call me out. <laughs> it feels like it is a special, maybe not rare, but yes. special thing to grow up from your whole life, you know, with an idea of this is who God, this is what God is and what he espouses. Yep. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you come up in there age 45 and it's like, OK, we're going to flip that script on you. <laughs> That's a big deal for it's them to big grow deal. It's a big, big deal. I agree completely. Yeah. I, and, and what I loved about that is that it allowed me to see because I was like 10 when this happened. My brother is much older than I am. And so it allowed me to see that religion is in many ways fluid and you have to continue to make a commitment to it. It's not just a given. And that's, mm -hmm. I think, the beauty of what our generation has and younger generations have, too, that we don't have to necessarily subscribe to these religions just because 
We don't have mm-hmm. to do it just because our forefathers have done it, just because our ancestors have done it. If we don't want to, we don't have to. Mm-hmm. So that choice that is now embedded in the way that we live our daily life is is fantastic. But the, the, the issue, I think, is that we're not necessarily finding what a replacement for it is. And I think in some ways we need that. So one thing I was thinking about with regard to this is that religion in the past has been a source of community for people. We don't have that sense of community necessarily. Now, sometimes people find it in friend groups. Sometimes people find it on the Internet. I don't know. There's not spaces that serve the the space, what, what a church space serve. Exactly, people. exactly. And so that's what I think is is lacking in our generation and in generations even younger than ours. I mean, I would argue that I, I personally, because I'm not religious at all. I don't consider myself Catholic anymore. I think that lapsed Catholic phase that everybody, you know, <laughs> probably all of us are here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like that. that's something that I would definitely, definitely ally myself with too. Um, but yeah, I don't know that I have that community space and I think yeah. that's something that's missing. I think it depends on what your relationship was with religion when you subscribe to it. So I would I was raised Catholic too, and I was raised Catholic in a town where most people are Protestant. And mm-hmm. weirdly, there's still there was still when I was a kid some like re- residual anti-Catholic stuff going mm-hmm. on. Interesting. I thought that most of the world, I, I mean, and from the lens of my upbringing, I thought that most of the world was Lutheran. <laughs> uh, I, I yeah, I thought that I, I learned about Jewish people about I learned that they still existed. <laughs> From a Babysitter's Club Little Sister book. Where, Wait, where, where Karen? Karen has a Jewish friend named Nancy Dawes. Oh, and Karen's I was like, oh. Nancy Dawes. Nancy Dawes. Classic. Um, so, what? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I was like, you know, in this little tiny town in Wisconsin. And to me, God was very real. So mm-hmm. was like the Catholic teachings were very, very real to me. And so when I became older, I went to a Catholic university. And by the time I was there, I kind of could feel it coming unraveling my mm-hmm. belief in this because I and and again, a lot of people I know and love are Catholics. And so I don't I'm not trying to sound anti-Catholic at all here. But at the time, I was considering the source of my information and the source of my information, the Catholic Church was enmeshed in a lot of uh, scandals about pedophilia and Mm -hmm. cover ups. And I was like, is this a reliable source Mm -hmm. of my entire world? (laughs) Uh, Because it seems as though they lie. (laughs) Um, So I it sort of came slowly unraveled. I was in choir in college. We went to Italy. We went on tour. I like went. I was like, mass and everything. I became skeptical and into my 20s, it came all the way undone. And it was like a very sad feeling. It felt like a really slow breakup. But I had to eventually acknowledge that I didn't believe in God, at least in the way that the church had presented him to me. And it was like, it was painful for a while. And I read this essay by Julia Sweeney called Letting Go of God, and she's done it as a TED Talk too. Mm -hmm. And it kind of helped me come to terms with it because she, she went through a similar process that I did. But it was, you know, not just the community thing for me. It was like, I felt like I had like a little buddy in my head who could be like, you can do it, Aaron. And then (laughs) all of a sudden it just wasn't there anymore. And that's like a huge, that's a huge thing for people who are raised with faith. And it's really scary to let go of, I think. I mean, it's to me like the best part of faith, right, is this idea of like having this sense, one, that like there's someone taking care of you Mm -hmm. and looking out for you. Mm -hmm. You know, that takes a lot of the pressure off of daily living. Oh, yeah. (laughs) If you if you if you can lean into it, you know what I mean? You you know, like it's like pretty much like, you know, like to me, the best idea of religion is don't be an asshole. I got your back. If we could distill religion into just like, don't be an asshole, you know, God's got your back, whatever you choose to believe. I'm like, we'd all be set. You know what I mean? But I felt like it's interesting though, because growing up, again, even going to Catholic school, I think the thing was, and at least back in New York, in Harlem, it was like, it was less for the religion and more like the Catholic school was the better school. Mm -hmm. And I think that is in a lot of places, like you go to Catholic school because that's like the school to go to. But I also noticed too, we would go to church every Sunday. But then as I got older, we stopped and it was not, it was less about, I'm a teen and I don't want to go to church. I felt like my mom, what we we're saying about community, like church was where like she was a single mom and it was like a way to have people around and things to do. And I yeah. think as I got older and she maybe needed less of that support, yeah, she didn't feel the need to go to church every single Sunday. Yeah, mm-hmm. But I was like, oh, I think this is more of like a social thing. Not in a bad way. Yeah. She, wasn't, she wasn't like a, you know, a gossiping bitty. But she <laughs> like needed like to have people around. And it like just feels like, but at the same time for me, like my unraveling came earlier. Like I was, I think I emailed you guys how like, our nuns were scary as fuck. Yeah. And they were like real strict, like even at the age of like five, six, 
you know, they would hit us. We would do get hit with rulers and all that kind uh. of stuff. And I remember just coming home and being like, mom, if the nuns work for God, why are they allowed to hit me? Like, it was like, I already have a problem with this. Y'all already <laughs> off the rails. And I don't even have all my teeth yet. You know? And it was like, that was for me. It was like such a thing. I like, you know, you have that unraveling later. But like, I had this, you know, nuns were, the nuns I knew were rough. Yeah. And so that instantly, again, you said you were like, they seem to be liars. And I'm like, they seem to be me. <laughs> this doesn't work. Like, you know, that moment. Did you ever have that grace going to Catholic school since uh, you went to all girls? Like, oh no, yeah, yeah, I definitely, I definitely did. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm trying to think like. The unraveling happened for me because I was younger and I saw my my parents sort of unraveling. So their unraveling happened before mine. But it, it also happened um, because I hated the first Catholic school that I went to. And it was because it was a lot of like white, wealthy, mean girl style people who like m- led me to believe that all Catholics were white and that mm-hmm. I was an exception being a Mexican. Because even, even though I knew that like Catholicism was all over the world, and I definitely had like a clean understanding of that. And even though I knew that like Catholicism is huge in Latin America and that I was Latin American. I mean, I've talked about this on the pod, but until I was seven, I used to tell people that I was Italian just because like the word <laughs> Which Mexican is was hilarious. <laughs> oh. yeah. People were like, what does para mean? And I was like, oh, it's Italian. We have spaghetti <laughs> every night. <laughs> <laughs> we have uh, spaghetti tortillas. <laughs> so so those two things were, were interconnected for me. An understanding of, of race, an understanding of class, and an understanding of religion were all intermingled. And um, yeah, and I think it's it's interesting. Actually, I was just talking about the the trip down south that I took, there were so many churches. There's so many churches in the South. There's just so many. And they're all different kinds. They're the fancy, you know, swanky ones, obviously. Houston has tons of those, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in fact, there's an amazing article that was sent out that uh, Gia Tolentino wrote uh, in the latest New Yorker about religion and about growing up religious in Houston that talks about these, like, massive cathedrals that we have. which like is mega church or mega ch- oh, Yeah, yeah mega, mega churches and, and, like, and like uh, church uh, proceedings that happen in, like, the Toyota Center where the Rockets mm-hmm. play. Like, this is not yeah. uncommon at yeah. all. Um, so that that was an element of what was going on, too, that like I went to smaller churches, but they were still predominantly white. But I knew that these bigger churches were happening. But I didn't really know about like more Mexican churches where I might have felt more at home, frankly. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, I'll tell you this. The, the the church, the church that I always liked the most were like Latin churches that were purely in Latin that didn't have a, a, a lick of English. Oh, like pre-Vatican II? Yeah, pre-Vatican II. Like with the rail and oh, you yeah, kneel yeah, and they yeah. put the communion in your mouth. There was one church downtown in Houston that had that. And that was the only time that I felt like, man, I love church. And it's because it felt like it was, it harkened back from a different mm-hmm. era that even like my parents didn't know and mm-hmm. that that nobody alive today really understood. That's when I felt most at home in Catholicism. Mm-hmm. Is but when did it was you know like, what they were saying? No, and I love that about it. <laughs> I was like, I don't get this shit. Well, it's, like the, it's like the Apple terms of service. You just show up and you're like, okay, I agree. <laughs> I didn't because, read this. What, what I was also seeing happening at the time, like right around the time that my parents started to get really fed up with going to church too, was just like lyrical dancers in the aisles mm. and like just terrible, just terrible, yeah. like yeah. acoustic <laughs> guitar music, just all bad, all bad programming. Oh man. <laughs> but that's like, isn't that part though? You said though, is it, it, at least what I see is like, that is part of this is you're talking like millennials and religion, the new, how do we, how do we make church connect to the iPhones? Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. And it is like giving me some rock, giving me some music, give me a 25 year old pastor. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It is like, how do we get this, you know, going? Yeah. I think it's interesting. It seems like there's a split uh, between different schools of thought. Like some people think, well, we got to keep, keep it real witchy. Yeah. And like, let real it be witchy. very old school, like a, like a Greek Orthodox. Easter mass that goes on all day. Oh, yeah, I was I studied in Greece and I was there over Easter and it was really funny to be there on like actual Easter because yeah. it's like the Greeks all go to church but they just kind of like wander in and out during yeah, the day. They'll like come out, day. eat some lamb, go back into <laughs> church, come out, have a like red dyed hard boiled egg. Go back Ew. into they all kind of go smoke, take a cigarette break, go back yeah. into church, and then like go home, and the church is like still going on. <laughs> I think uh, one thing that you know we keep talking about community, and I think for us, you know, we grew up in places where there were areas outside of church for us to fit in. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot about how religion and and religious practice is important to marginalize groups uh, and especially immigrants and refugees and people that are in a place that is not their home where they're trying to just like set down roots and establish some familiarity. I was thinking specifically, uh, there's a 
pretty large Somali population up where I um, uh, grew up in Barron, Wisconsin, which is close to Frederick. And uh, their religion, like religious practice serves as a way for them to connect with where they're from. So I think like, you know, when I we see this kind of these stats about millennials getting less religious, I think that the more alienated and, and difficult it is for a person to fit in where they are, the more important that space is for them. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of think, I think a lot about this because on one hand, I don't believe in God. I consider myself agnostic mm-hmm. um, and I'm not Catholic. I love a lot of Catholics, but I don't really like the church. Um, but at the same time, I kind of hate the millennial shithead sneering mm-hmm. at people who yeah. are religious. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So how do you balance being skeptical of religion and the damage that organized religion can do and respectful of the fact that it's a really essential part of some people's lives? I think that's a great question. And and one thing that has made me um, very excited about uh, Pete Buttigieg is, is that he asks that question uh, and talks about what the religious left might look like. Um, I think it's interesting to see somebody who's, who's uh, apart from his sexuality, apart from his, his marriage, um, he is super intelligent. It's very difficult to uh, listen to him and think like this guy is full of shit because he's he's just hyper intelligent and and I think that that actually targets kind of the core of of, of what your question is getting at Aaron which is that I think that we have it's difficult for us to view uh, religious people when we when when religious people and um, well, the idea of being religious and intellectualism get crossed. In other words, if you start to view all religious people as dumb, then it's mm-hmm. impossible to view. Then, then you just you don't want to be associated with religion at all. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's what our our generation has done in a really problematic way. That we mm-hmm. continue to 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 view and to see people who are religious as just like, oh, well, they don't know what they're talking about. Like you got to be an idiot if you're going to believe in Jesus. You know, you have to be an idiot if you believe in the Bible. And a lot of those people believe in astrology. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, exactly. Belief is not inherently. Sp- yeah. Right. It's not. It's not. But like those two things, um, intellectualism and religious belief are intertwined in a way that's really difficult for those of us who don't exactly believe in God or don't necessarily know where we stand religiously to we don't know how to to make amends with that. But can't, but to me, it feels like the 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 amends, as you say, is in the act of questioning. Right. I Agreed, think the problem yeah. is that like, we, you know. The sneering is so it's because I think people associate religion with like you don't think for yourself. Yeah, exactly. Right? And it's like, mentality. Yes, and that idea of like, well, you just believe this thing because everybody else believes this thing. Yeah. And it's like, well, you can you can, you know, especially as we've touched on these ideas like of community, of what faith can give you, you know, the sense of comfort. You can be part of that and you know take what works and leave the rest. Yeah. You know, it's like kind of how it is. And if a la carte can, religion, in other words. Yeah, not, yeah. And that's not to say, you know, you're not like giving back or involved, but this idea like you can say, okay, I, I know that I'm not in charge and that like there are really good people here. Like I love yeah. some Catholics and not the church or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I don't necessarily know like if it's all working for me. Yeah. And that can still be reli- like I think it's like allowing that viewpoint to still be seen as religious. Mm-hmm. I agree. I you love know? that. Yeah. I think that's true. Although there is a, a slang that used to get tossed around in St. <laughs> Dominic's Catholic Church. Uh, cafeteria Catholics. Cafeteria. Oh, what's that? It's where you just go through and you're like, I'll take that. I'll take that. I'll, but like the I, but that was like a slur. Yeah, like, like Catholic is a prefix. Like they uh-huh. they'll serve you. Like the Pope is like you're having row yeah. for an appetizer, mm-hmm. and then you're having fish for a main dish, and then you're having a fish dessert, and you're like that's too much fish, and he's like fuck you, I'm the, <laughs> I'm the Pope, you're eating this. So that's I mean, but I think that you are right. But, but don't it, you think we're all kind of caffe caffe Catholics or caffe caffe is what I'm calling the cafeteria. I'm young, I'm, young, I'm a millennial. Um, but no, but is it right because like. If you go back to the Bible, there's a lot of shit they told you to do in the Bible that we don't do now. That is yeah. true. Period. That yeah. is true. They tell you to don't look back at things or you will turn into a pillar of salt is one of yeah. my favorite yeah. things. Lot, Lot's wife, as she's fleeing, yeah. Yeah. turns into a pillar of salt, which actually seems like a more pleasant death than most I deaths. think so. <laughs> it seems pretty quick. and Quick, instantaneous. You easy leave cleanup? An automatic <laughs> grave marker. Yeah. It's like your family is like, oh, oh yeah, let's, that's, that's mom. We didn't even have to pay for a funeral for her. She is just a pillar of salt. Yeah, now. use me to season. That's yeah, salt. You need you need more than just salt, but yeah. salt is. But I, I want to be part of it. I want to yeah. be part of, yeah. be part of Put your. Put me on that paella. <laughs> I'll live forever. Um, one thing I was thinking about is, is like when we we're preparing this episode is the 
intersection between feminism and religion. And I think that all of us here subscribe to tenets of feminism, even though we don't necessarily all agree on, you know, call ourselves feminists or one for, for various reasons, whatever. Um, how does religion and womanhood line up? And, and my question about this is because I remember one of the big moments of being like, okay, this religion is maybe not for me, was in in confirmation class. We were we had this book and there was like three chapters on how women aren't supposed to use birth control and like what oh, the rhythm message. They really saved that until we were like 16, Indeed. 17 years yeah. old. And I remember coming home and being like, mom, I'm opposed to this. <laughs> and she told me that I could choose not to be confirmed if I wanted to, that she would respect me. But then, you know, I thought about it and it was like, well, my grandparents really want me to be confirmed. And this is just if even if I don't think that this means something, I'm just going through the motions and Mm -hmm. it will mean something to them. So Mm -hmm. I I went through with it anyway. But the role of women in different religions, I find deeply in in different religious doctrine. I find Mm -hmm. deeply, deeply problematic. So how do you think that somebody who calls himself a feminist or progressive can marry like their feminism with religion that has that has like in the past treated women as sort of like baby making or Catholic making or, you know, Christian yeah. making. And machines. certainly not leaders. I mean, you and don't right, see right. female priests, you know, I mean, they're, they're a female priest. I mean, you do sure. in hell, Grace. Uh, that's <laughs> where I guess I'm headed. Um, I think that's, that's part of it. It's like, we, we really, I think that there, there have to be some top down changes that, that constituents have to, you know, I, I understand that religions aren't a democracy by any <laughs> means, but like we got to, at some point shift some things around. Like yeah. women need to be leaders in church that we just, we just we have like to be. All just become unitary. You know maybe, what I mean? Like, maybe, yeah, where are the yeah. ones where women can be in power? We'll just go do those. Yeah. Although, uni- have you ever gone to a Unitarian service? Yes, one time. <laughs> it was, I went to one once and the call to prayer was, let us all assume an attitude of prayer or reflection. <laughs> it was so many words. An attitude of prayer. Just like, let us pray is the simplest way. I know what you mean. I'm not going to do it the same as the next person. It's totally fine. It It was such a like, you know, I'm wayward like into path. it. It's like a little, like a little, like touch hippie giving me a Quaker feel you know like that kind of moment where you're like all right, I guess we're hanging out my attitude (laughs) yeah an attitude of prayer (laughs) there was like a moment where we sat down on pillows in a circle and I was like okay yeah, this is uh, this is happening. Well, maybe we just need to put some more rose quartz crystals in religious uh, proceedings, and then yes. women will feel very at home. So that's the thing I wanted to transition to before we um, run out of time for this conversation and finish solving God. Mm. Yeah, yeah, um, we're on it. We got it. And that's like the commodification of belief, but like beliefs that are way outside of what you know thirty years ago would be considered the mainstream. So like belief in crystals, belief in, yeah. in tarot, belief Palo in Santo. Yeah, like ast- astrology, yeah. like uh, what do you make of kind of new agey spirituality? I mean, my mom always had that stuff right alongside the Bible. And still it does is. to this day. We have like little um, altars in our house that have mm-hmm. like pictures of dead ancestors and a cross and a statue of La Virgen de Guadalupe and like rose quartz crystals and whatever crystal that she is feeling that day with okay. like Palo Santo and stuff really? everywhere. Oh, yeah. It's like this this total. It's this like very witchy mm-hmm. mix. But she's always kind of considered my mom's I'm always so kind of, pro witchiness. Oh, <laughs> me too. I, I, I will. You know what? I was pro it. I think like 20 years ago, my mom was like an OG witch. Really. <laughs> now, like all these urban outfitters biddies who, right, um, but, right. you know, it's like, it's too much. But I think, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Like, I, I think ultimately it's that a la carte style thing too, where it's like, I can believe, and I think I kind of subscribe to that too. Like I believe in God because I want to believe in God, by the way, mm-hmm. I believe in God because I want to, not because I necessarily think that he, that he is even a he or exists for everybody. It's just, it's a nice catch all for there being something that's greater than, than us. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but I also like, if my mom gives me like a talisman, she gave me a talisman mm. for um, actors and she was like take this with you on auditions hasn't helped but <laughs> I do but I'm like oh my god how much worse would it be if I didn't take it with me so I take I mean, it with you me never everywhere. know well, you never know <laughs> right it doesn't hurt to be safe that's the whole, I think that's, that's exactly but that you're joking but I think that's exactly why these things even exist mm-hmm. get a crystal because you never know yeah. you know what I mean you don't know who out in these streets <laughs> who is watching me is are we on a ley line what do I need to be connecting with in this moment yeah I think that also new age type uh, demonstrations of faith tend to be 
I, I think your religious practice is, is in many ways a reflection of who you are. And in the wrong hands, religious practice can just be used as a vessel to channel your own dickishness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. So it's a way to confirm, yeah, I am awesome. Yeah. There yeah. is nothing wrong with me. I don't have to improve. Right. I, I don't have to do anything. Yeah. yeah. I, yeah. I, am, I am so empowered that yeah. I have become magical. <laughs> That's what I think of like the Urban Outfitters, like new agey kind of, you can buy a crystal while you're waiting to check out yeah. you know, right. whatever. I, it's it's like people who are so empowered but don't understand the source of their power, which yeah. is a lot of times historical oppression of other people. <laughs> you know what? But they're like, I'm magical. Yeah. I must be magical. <laughs> and I think the commodification of any ideology, whether it's religion, whether it's feminism, which has had the fuck commodified out yeah. of it. Yeah. Any, any ideology leads to a sort of empty expression of that ideology that can't really fulfill what it is supposed to. Right. I mean, this idea too, like, you know, faith without works is dead. If yes. you don't, you know, if you're just like, I believe in God and I am a creature of God. So yeah. you could just like, Leave me alone. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it's like, well, is that tr- is that truly what it is to believe or to say? You know, if we're all cr- we're all creatures, we're all sharing the world, we're all you know, divine in some way. Does that mean I need to respect people? In a, you know, right. in a different way, or treat them in a different way, or do you right, know what I mean? Like, right. what, what is you know, if you have that thought, what is the resulting action you take? It's mm-hmm. like slacktivism doesn't doesn't work in religion. Right, or it shouldn't anyway. Right, right. <laughs> but it's, it's I mean, it's also right. The idea of like, okay, cool, retweet, but now what are we gonna do? Exactly. Right. You know, one of my favorite things about religion. Now that I you know I kind of experienced that kind of slate got wiped off when I was in my early 20s or mid 20s. Uh, Ever since then, I've been trying to kind of slowly figure out what it is. And Mm -hmm. I can't say I have any answers at all, but there are things that I'm open to now that I wasn't when I was in the burn it all down phase of my my faith life. And one of those things is like, I do accept certain things about the religion I was raised with as good. Mm -hmm. And there are certain things that I try to live with that I think make me a better person to the people around me, I hope. Mm -hmm. And I would, I think the world would be better if more people lived like that. I remember this one verse in the Bible, and this is like the only time I'm ever going to quote the Bible, except Mm -hmm. when I point point out that there's actually abortion in the Bible. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But there was a, there's a verse in there about how if you're fasting, you should just not make a big deal out of it. If you're going to pray, go in your room and shut the door and pray. Because if you need recognition for the fact Mm -hmm. that you're religious, then you've already gotten your reward. Like God doesn't need to reward you in heaven. You've already gotten it here on earth. And I think that there's something to be said for people who let their good works speak for themselves and they don't go around being like, God told me to do this. And that's, I'm good. This is why I'm doing this. Like, I think being a good person outside of wanting recognition for it is really important to like the world not sucking. I think, yeah, yeah, I think that another word for that is, is having good character and that transcends religion. And I think it, it taps into what we're all talking about here. Having good character is not just believing and it's not just thinking good thoughts and it's not just like, I'm content in being a good person, but it involves acting that way constantly too. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, I think that, I think that that transcends religion. Totally. Yeah. So what, I guess, how does morality form if mm-hmm. we don't have religion? Because there's there have been studies that have shown that people who believe in a vengeful, angry God tend to behave more morally mm-hmm. than people who don't. Right. So people who don't want to believe that there's a real mean dick in the sky <laughs> who's, who's going to, like, burn your face if you, like, say a swear. Like, <laughs> how do you... How do you develop a sense of morality and being a good person absent religion? Um, I think the belief belief in karma, which is like mm-hmm. not it's not Catholic by any means, but it's sort of that's like a universal. And I think also having like a, a, like a, a Catholic guilty immigrant <laughs> mom who like tells you like, oh, so you're spiting me today? I see, I see you you wearing that low cut shirt. Well, you know how that makes me feel. That is very helpful knowing that your mom hates. Um, I would say those two things. <laughs> I feel like also to you know empathy like when you teach kids early on i think it's important to uh it's not it's not rubbing it's not like when you rub a dog's nose in their poop that's uh, typically like this is bad you shouldn't have done this but this idea i think when you with children especially when they're younger like when a kid is hurt why are you hurting what happened to you yeah you know talk it through try to see if they have words to it so they can see it when it's happening in other people that's good. Do you know what i mean like that knowledge of like you just made that person feel a way you mm-hmm. don't like to feel mm-hmm. you know if you can like 
you know, some people you can't you can't cultivate the empathy. Yeah. But if you can, I feel like that is then your alternative without yeah. necessarily hinging it to when you die, it's going to be bad, <laughs> you know, which I think is like also pretty rough, like a hard one to sell to. Yeah. To be like, well, when you die, it's really going to come down on you. You're right. Like, oh, I don't, I'm not going to be there for that. <laughs> you know? But like. If you can really kind of tie in this, you know, feeling of empathy mm-hmm. with a, with a vocabulary, yeah, yes, yeah. right, yeah. I think that empathy is probably the key to not being a jerk. Is realizing yeah. that like what you're doing affects other people, and uh, that you don't necessarily need people to like give you a cookie and a lollipop every time you act like a decent human right, being. Right, right, right. Uh, but in the meantime, um, whatever you think about God, here's hoping that if he's listening to this or she. She, she did I blow your mind? Wow, 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 wow. The hey, doctor's Ariana Grande. Wow, yeah. I'm I'm Ar- I'm Ariana Grande, who is like <laughs> a living freshman thesis, like a freshman <laughs> intro to <laughs> philosophy is like what? Guys, guys, what if God is a woman? Oh boy, Ariana. <laughs> okay, well, that is all the time we have to solve God, mm-hmm. which I believe we have I solved. We I think God. we did. I, I think we did. got it. Don't be a dick. Don't be a dick. Don't be a dick. Don't, don't Listen be a to your dick. mother and don't be a dick. Listen to your mother and don't be a dick. Good advice. Naomi and Grace, thanks so much. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, the hills will die on. And welcome back. I have Grace and Naomi with me. We are going to visit the hills we'll die on. Let's start with our listener hill first. Hi, Hysteria. I'm Cassie. I'm from Texas. And the hill I will die on is that the notebook is a terrible example of love. Everything about that relationship is unhealthy. A cute, sad ending for the old people seems to make everyone forget that the relationship started with Noah threatening to kill himself unless she went on a date with him. They're toxic, they're codependent, and I know Allie's mom was a bitch, but she had a point. Not about them being poor, but that they were terrible together. Also, if you're a bird, I'm a bird is a stupid line. I okay, this I love because my because Niall made me sit down and watch the notebook. He I know, I know, I know. He's the world's only fan of both Black Sabbath and the notebook. (laughs) (laughs) Straight white man who loves both Black Sabbath and the notebook. He yeah, and I I I cried. I mean, but I agree with all these points. I didn't I didn't want to cry because it it was bad. Yeah. Well no, (laughs) I cried because love. (laughs) I think that movie is completely carried by the charisma of the two stars. I think Rachel McAdams is a treasure. Ryan Gosling is also a treasure. Yeah. I remember, I mean, I saw it, I think I was young. Like, I saw it, when it in the theater when it came out. Mm. So, like, as a young, I was like, I was like, this is so romantic. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I'm very much with her on this. Like, it is. It's like, it's sick, it's codependent. I, like, the stuff I now know, like, again, I, I loved rom-coms. It's like all I ever oh, wanted. Yeah. And now, there's nothing that makes me angrier than the it, the notion of, like, a guy who just keeps coming. You yeah. know what I mean? Where he's like, yeah. he, she said no, but he's like, I'm going to wear you down. And it's <laughs> like, you fucking boundary disrespecting <laughs> psycho. You know what I mean? But like when yep. I was 15, I was like, that's what it is. Yeah. He's going to keep coming back. If no he wants him. you, he'll, he'll let he, you know. Oh, and it's like, how dare you? Yeah. <laughs> All that, is, that stuff. Yeah, yeah. no, it's it's bad. There's an, a classic Onion article, rom-com behavior gets real life man arrested. <laughs> Which is like kind of... Very real. Inco- inco- Encompassing what you're thinking. Right. Yeah, Nicholas Sparks is a whole thing. He basically <laughs> singularly funded the creative writing department at Notre Dame because he is an ND alum. Oh. He was he ran track, which is funny. Um, but he like his books, I remember there was like a, a few years where every year there was like three of his books coming out. Mm-hmm. And a fun game to play was like, Where's the cancer? Right. Yeah. <laughs> in in yeah. like a preview, you're mm-hmm. like, who's got the cancer? And right. most of the time, whichever person you'd guess is correct well, also yeah. the woman the wo- you know what I mean like woman. he was all it was like is she dying is she falling apart didn't he also he did a walk to remember yeah that's right Mandy Moore is a treasure though. also a treasure who knew she'd be a treasure though She's. An, I'm sorry I, when I, I first heard candy I said flash in the pan <laughs> and now here we are Emmy award winning cast yes, you know what I mean like, yes. I'm like just, Mandy fucking Moore like a luminary I, I just, she's here I, she's to great. stay. She's, she's here to she's, stay. She's multi-complex, multi-talented, does it all. We're huge fans. Yeah, I love Mandy Moore, yeah. but not a walk to remember. I never right. saw it. I never saw it. <laughs> okay, now let's move on to our 
personal hills. Uh, my, I'll go first, just because it's yeah. it's pretty simple. So the hill I'll die on this week is um, earrings shouldn't be heavy. <laughs> I agree completely. They shouldn't be yeah. heavy. I ordered a pair of earrings. I was like, these look really cute. They're these big kind of like costumey looking flower earrings that I was like, I'll wear these to a wedding. Like mm-hmm. I'll put my hair up. They'll look re- really cool and like kind of vintage and stuff. And I got them and they were like, put, like weights hanging out yeah. in my, my ear holes. And it's like, wh- who... Who is buying these and wearing them? Like, I 20-year-old Grace was buying them and wearing them <laughs> until I realized that, like, I'm going to have to get that surgery at some point because I have, you know, that, like, the little oh, the stitch you surgery. you got old that, lady like, holes? I got old lady holes. <laughs> now, I will say there are these, there are these, um, what are they called? They're called, like, loop supports or something. Oh, yeah. Oh, that Lord. are these little pads you can wear on the back. And I ha- no. and I wear them every day. I have to wear them every day. Oh, oh my which God. Which is sad. It's it's basically, like, I don't know. It's, it's, it's ankle support, but for your ears. <laughs> Earrings shouldn't, they just shouldn't be heavy. I like, agree. what are you doing? What are you doing making Bad. them? I agree with you. I'll tell you right now. I don't even have pierced ears. What? Whoa. They pierced my ears as a baby. The moment I had autonomy, I just let that grow back in. <laughs> I didn't like the feel of them. It's like you're sticking something through my skin. Yeah. My ear skin of all the skin. <laughs> I just don't like it at all. And like when every, every now and then, you know, I go on a set and they want to, you know, like, you have pierced ears? And I was like, no, I do not. If you have clip-ons, I will wear them. <laughs> clip-ons are so glamorous, though. There's something so glamorous are. about just like putting them on. Clip. Yeah. They hurt like a mother. They yeah, do they hurt. Do. But, gotta, get those, um, gotta get those pads on. <laughs> <laughs> those loop pads. Okay. Uh, who wants to go next? Grace, Naomi? I'll go. I'll mm-hmm. go. Mine is more of like a life advice. So I, I've mentioned this um trip that I went on this past weekend. And so I was on a plane and uh, the hill that I'm going to die on is that there's nothing better than Penny Dell variety puzzles on a plane. <laughs> I love What's them. That? You, go, you go into any, any airport bookstore, any airport store that sells like whatever snackies are. And, you know, they have like lots of books, like they got uh, Michelle Obama's book everywhere. Thank God. Have to read it. <laughs> but if you don't want to read anything and you don't want to read the Atlantic, then in this magazine section, there are these variety puzzles and they're way in the back or they're at the very bottom and nobody ever buys them except for me. And I <laughs> I love them so much because you can do word searches or you can do logic puzzles <laughs> or you can do Sudoku if you want or you can do something called match up where you there's like nine pictures and you got to find the two that match up and then there's like every little picture there's like one tiny difference between it's the best thing for a plane <laughs> it's so it's it's very I love it guys Penny Dell variety puzzles I have a 13 hour plane ride in a week and a half you need some Penny Dell you need I, multiple. You need I multiple. Might, you I you might buy the store out. Because here's the thing. You don't just want the crosswords and you don't just want the Sudoku. You get sick of those. Yeah. you got to get the variety puzzles because then you have <laughs> hundreds of choices. This is <laughs> Grace, how are you 75 years old? A little old? bit. A You're little bit. Stretched out ears. Your variety puzzle Did buying. you hear the excitement with which she said, logic puzzles? <laughs> it was like, uh, ear. I was like, all right. All right. She's got this. She's I took the, the LSATs just because I like logic puzzles so much. I really did. Oh, man. Thank you for that, Grace. Uh, Naomi, bring us home. All right. I got a little something, you know, talking about planes, just something that I haven't gotten off my chest since the last time I was on a plane. The hell I will die on. Don't you take your goddamn shoes off on that plane. And then what this bitch had the nerve to do. Feet up, also sockless, okay? Oh, sockless. no. Feet up on the back of, like, the armrest in between, right? <gasps> so, like, the back of the chair, but, like, she was kind of wide. There was no person between us. So she was like, oh, I live here now. <laughs> and it was just like, how dare the hell keep your shoes on when you ain't in the house? That's just that's just a wrap. I get it. We're on a plane, you know, L.A. to New York. That is six hours. It's not pleasant. I was wearing my heaviest shoe. Obviously, you wear the heaviest. You pack sure. the lightest. Yeah, I would have loved to wiggle my toes. <laughs> but I ain't at home. <laughs> You're going to have to address the levels. I'm living. And I'm screaming and I will stand by that shit. Wait, I have a question. I have a question. What, Grace? Do you have a pedicure or no pedicure? They were fine. <laughs> but not like, you know, freshly, whatever. You know what I mean? She was like an older lady. Doing her thing, there was a hammer toe situation. Oh no! <laughs> but it was like, <sighs> are you ki-? so again? There, there was space between us, so it wasn't like she was right on me. And I don't know because it's interesting because for all the yelling I can do into a microphone, I like don't like confrontation in real life. So yeah, yeah, I don't yes, know so. what I would have said if she had been like right on me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but it was in and who and and maybe if there was another person, she wouldn't have done it. I don't know. Yeah, you mm-hmm. know what I mean. Yeah, but come on, that's really rude. I I would say that. 
if I'm on a long plane flight, I make sure that I'm wearing like compression stockings okay. or like nice socks. And then sometimes I'll take my shoes off and put on slipper socks over my socks. Okay. Oh, so they're like fresh and they have the little hospital bottoms. Yeah, you know? yeah, 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 yeah. The sticky bottoms. Yeah. It's just like more, co- if I'm going to sleep, it's sure. just like more comfortable. But you're not going to then put that up. Like you're no. still, your feet are down yeah. and you're like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. again, I try I to had, make myself as small as possible on a plane. Yeah, I like will. I'm I'm like just a little too tall to curl up into a ball and like yeah. sleep against the window. Yeah, but I still try. Oh, me too. So yeah, when yeah. I, when I nap, I'll wake up with my feet shooting out. Yeah, you know, like. <laughs> I'm but the, I don't take my socks off. I think that that is such an important hill. No, don't take your socks fully. off. I don't yeah. know. I was just like I was so I was like. Yeah, I was That's so grossed out and mad at her. It also it makes the entire plane. You realize how gross the whole plane is. Yes, yeah. because you're like baby butts have probably been touching this. Yeah, unclothed feet. Yeah, Ugh. yeah, yeah, yeah. I couldn't. I just couldn't. I was like, you are like. She was in her sixties. She was like in her sixties. Yeah, that's fabulous. old enough to know better. That's my yeah. point. Old enough to old know enough better. to give no more fucks. Yeah, I like guess, maybe maybe but... that's the thing. Maybe we just got to accept that at some point we turn sixty and it's like. She was off. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I think that that if you take your socks off on an airplane and put your feet on the seat, God will send you to hell. That is my (laughs) only religious belief. You are going to hell and it is cartoon devils and pitchforks and fire. That's that's where you are going to live forever. (laughs) Okay, Grace and Naomi. Thanks so much for stopping by this week. Thank you to Alyssa Mastermonico for calling in, as always. If you like what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes. It helps people find the podcast. And there will be more hysteria next week. Get your gun. Get your gun.